The text for this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 8, and chapter 9, verse 15. There might be some notes on my left, your right. Let me pray, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. But let me pray as we get started. Lord, we continue to worship you, and we pray now that you would open up our eyes, that we could see glorious things in your word. Lord, I am not sufficient in and of myself. My only sufficiency is of you, and we know that your word will do its work in those who believe, and for those who don't believe, your word can grant faith. And so, Lord, we pray that you do a great work today in all of our hearts. For Christ's sake, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you to always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. And then verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. My mom used to say to me that I needed to learn that Christmas is about giving and not about getting. My mom used to tell me, before Christmas and after Christmas, Tom, Christmas is not about so much getting, I'm sorry, giving as it is getting. Because I always had a certain Christmas gift that I wanted. To be honest, I had Christmas gifts that I wanted. I would take the Sears catalogs about this thick, and I would turn to the NFL football section and pick footballs and team jerseys, and then I would turn down the page or market. And I waited for those things from December 26th all the way till next year. And I think maybe in some degree, I, I can still do that. Maybe it's not a sh- shirt now. Maybe it's a certain knife that I, I want on a, certain web- on a certain website. And I send those to Lisa, you know, monthly. Man, this shirt looks nice and it's not that expensive. You should buy it now. So well, my mom would tell me, because I was so into marking at not just the Sears catalog, there'd be the J.C. Penny catalog. There'd be many different catalogs when I was growing up that I would mark of things I wanted. And then, then on Christmas Day, my happiness would be dependent upon whether or not I got the things that I marked. And it's because in one sense, I was focused not on giving, but only on getting. And so my mom would tell me, Tom focused on giving and not getting. And so I want to say, my mother is, is half right. She's half right with this. Certainly, as Christians, we don't want to be selfish and simply want to idolize toys or recreational objects. But when it comes down to it, actually, Christmas is about getting and not giving. Now... If you're 
younger than me. I'm not saying be selfish. What I'm saying is that the incarnation of God the Son is about receiving the grace of God. And then in one sense, we have to learn to become receivers. We have to learn on how to become true getters of the best gift there could ever be, and that's the grace of God. And so these passages in Second Corinthians are not about only receiving, 9 verse 8 is, but even that verse is about receiving the grace of God that is there for you. These passages are about receiving God's amazing grace. And to make the most out of Christmas, in a true sense, we need to learn how to be receivers, getters of God's amazing grace. And these three verses, they were kind of served as presents that we unwrap. And the biggest present will be chapter 8, verse 9. And that's where we'll spend most of our time. And then there is a, another present that's a little bit smaller. And that will be 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And then we'll have this tiny, tiny presence that we'll spend a little bit of time on. Maybe it comes in the stocking. And that's 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God. Gift. So as we unwrap these presents, I'm praying that this will help us to learn to receive the best gift we could ever receive, and that is the grace of God. <clears throat> so first, open the first. Unwrap it, almost like you will tomorrow morning, <clears throat> and that present is there, and the, the youth, even if you're 56 years old, I still like just taking that paper and just ripping the paper up and seeing what what I have. May we have the same kind of zeal for the grace of God. So this first gift that we open is basically grace to make you gloriously rich beyond what you could ever imagine. And so we learn it's not about our grit that saves us or keeps us saved. It's about the grace of God. Not our grit that keeps us saved or that saves us or, or keeps us in heaven. It's only the grace of God. And I want us to note, first of all, this gift of grace is for practical usage. So we do learn to receive God's grace, but we're not selfish. We do give. You can see this in Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 with the word for. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 9 is given support, rationality, reason, motivation for what was just said in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 8, where he says, verse 7, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness, and the love we inspired in you, see to it that you abound in his gracious work also. I'm speaking this, I'm not speaking as a command, but as proving through the earnest of others the sincerity of your love also. But by example and by pleading, I'm asking you that you'll be gracious and kind and giving to others. Well, this is based upon the unparalleled grace that God has given us in Christ. That's what verse 9 is doing in its context. Be generous, be be like Christ. 
by showing grace. Well, we show this grace because this is the grace that was given to us in verse 9. And then secondly, this gift, you've already, if you know Christ, have seen it. Have you ever, on a Christmas morning, opened up a package and it's something that you have already received before? Maybe it's from your grandma and you open up a package and it's a pair of what? Socks. You know how many socks I've gotten? Now, if you guys get me, like, wool socks, I'll, I'll take them. I'm not offended. But bless my grandmother's heart, it would always be uh, black, very thin socks almost every single time. This is not like that. But he is saying, if you look at verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something you are experienced with. This is something you have received, not only every Christmas morning, but every day of your life, you've received the grace of God. For you know, that word know in verse 9 is not just in an abstract way, but you know by reading your Bible, by understanding theology, but also by experience, this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, this not of yourself, not of works, lest one should boast. For we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. These believers, they're believers because they've experienced this incredible, indescribable, infinite grace of God. They have been saved are being saved, will be saved, and kept saved because of this grace. And so he says to them, you already know about this because you have truly experienced it in your own life. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, I've labored more than all the apostles, more than Peter, more than James, more than John. I've labored more than all of them, but yet not I, but the grace of God. So even the Apostle Paul says, that he has not simply understood, but experienced, depended upon this grace of God that's in Christ Jesus. Certainly, I can say in my own life, I'm only saved by God's grace. I am only kept saved by God's grace. I'm only going to heaven by God's grace. Years ago, and maybe... You get tired of me saying this, but years ago, I thought, maybe four or five years ago, I thought I was dying. And when I thought I was dying, my only thought was Ephesians 2, 8, 9. <laughs> For by grace you're saved through faith. For by grace you're saved through faith. Th- thank you, Lord. For by grace you're saved through faith. Because if you're on your deathbed and you're dying and you're going to get hope from all the good works you've done, that's not going to give you a lot of relief and comfort. <laughs> We're only saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And even after 10 billion years in heaven, you're only kept there by God. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, 7. And it says, in the coming ages, from age to age, you will see a taste, understand the passing kindness of his grace in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 7. So this is the grace of God that they have already tasted. You've tasted it. Oh, taste God and see that he is good. Now, where did this grace come from? Look back at the verse, at verse 9. Where did this grace come from? 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think these are beautiful words. This grace that flows out of this person, Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus Christ, the the Messiah, the Lord, the, the sovereign incarnate Son of God that was born, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sinners, rose again, ascended to sit beside the Father on high. It's from Him that you have received this grace in Him and out of Him. And the way that, that it puts it throughout Scripture, you don't always have this Lord Jesus Christ. When it phrases it this way, you see both His, his deity, His humanity, and His successful mission, all wrapped up in that phrase, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this grace also has practical usage. They and we have experienced it. We're saved by it. We're kept saved by it. But it's also an infinite, abundant resource given to you by the humble work of Christ. And this little verse here, you see right in the middle where it says, for your sake. If you were to translate this word for word, it would be, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For your sake, though he was rich, he became poor. That's how the sentence is written in Greek, because it's emphasizing actually your sake. And even toward the end of the verse, when it says, so that you... There's two U's at the end of this verse. The, the Greek verb has the pronoun in it already in there, you. But then this other pronoun is added, humes, and it makes a, a double impact. For your, for your sake, he did this. So that you, through, you, you, through his poverty might become rich. And the emphasis certainly is on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's ultimate, but penultimate underneath God is you. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, is the one that, though he was rich, he humbled himself. He did that for you, for you, to make you rich. So, in effect, remember, this is being read to a congregation. The whole congregation is hearing this. And the whole whole congregation is understanding that Christ did this for you. For all those that trust Him, that know Him, He did this for you. I put a big, big U on my paper and then wrote down four more U's. You, 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 to try to help you to understand that not that we want to be selfish, but there is a true sense when we must humble ourselves and learn you and I need to learn to receive more and more the grace of God. I can only be saved, kept saved, pressed forward in the Christian life, 
have spiritual fruit. I can truly even only have grit to work out my salvation by the grace of God. And it's for you. And again, the Lord Jesus Christ is stressed in order to help us understand the, his, his height and how low he went for you. He did it for you. It is really incredible because of you he did this. Yes, ultimately his glory, but underneath that he did it for you. You matter to the Lord. He cares for you. You matter to him. The Lord is not not thinking about you. The greatest person in the universe did the greatest thing that could ever be done for you. And he's still thinking about you and he still loves you. That's what this verse is saying. What was it that he did? Well, it says right here, he willingly became poor. He willingly became poor. And when you look back at verse 9, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet for your sake, though he was rich, he became poor, he became poor. That's the subject and verb. That's the core of this sentence. He became poor. The rest is certainly important, but they're all modifying this core. He became poor. That's the core of this sentence. It's the son of the sentence, and everything else in the sentence, in this clause, revolves around this. He became poor. He became poor. The incarnation of God the Son is about God the Son becoming poor. He had no need of anything because he was the Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor not because he was deficient and needed our fellowship. He didn't need it to be loved. He was already loved sufficiently. There was nothing lacking in his being. He willingly became poor to save us. Physically, emotionally, socially, he needed anything. He already was rich, yet though he was rich, as modifying, he became he became poor, even though when he became poor, he was infinitely rich. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unmappable, past finding out. There was nothing that was lacking within him. There was no finiteness, no fragility, all-powerful, knew everything perfect and infinite in every single way. It was then that he added poverty by God the Son becoming a human, by becoming a male. And I think, though often it's thought of as a passage of crucifixion, Isaiah 53 out of necessity, also talks about the incarnation. For there to be a crucifixion, there has to be an incarnation. You can see this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, 
nor our parents, that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. This is speaking about his life and even his ultimate death. But the point is, is that he looked like any human male that was having a hard time in life. He became very human, even going through trials and difficulties that we all do, but yet without sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Consider this verse. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the law, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. Similar to flesh, looking very human. And having that fragility and finiteness as a human would have. Philippians chapter 2 that we have previously seen before. Chapter 2 verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man. Verse 7. Emptying himself. How did he empty himself? Not getting rid of his deity, but actually adding to himself. And it says, servant, it's the word doulos. But emptying himself, taking the form of a slave. Made in the like, he was looking just like a man. And we've seen Hebrews chapter 2 several times. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, when it says that he was becoming poor, is that he dressed himself up in finite, fragile, though sinless, humanity. So much so that he could be weak, he could be tired, he could bleed, he could cry, he could be disappointed, and even fought despair in the Garden of Gethsemane, and overcame, never sinned. He could bleed. Even it says in the first chapter of John, he came into his own, and his own what? Rejected him. They didn't receive him. Now, if Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Rockefeller, Rothschild, whoever, whoever you can, uh, forgot his name, uh, Jeff Bozos uh, of, uh, of, of Amazon, on Christmas morning, knocked on your door and gave you, you know, $100,000, you would just be like, You'd be so happy, right? You'd just be... <gasps> have to lay down probably. Catch your breath. Wouldn't that be amazing if they did? What about if Trump paid all your bills and paid the mortgage of your house? You're such a good patriot. You're a mortgage. Just pay. You'd be like, hallelujah. Thank you. Somebody that is far, 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 infinitely richer and more important than any of those people has paid your debt, was born and lived a perfect life for you, died for you, rose again for you. And it was not because you merited it or deserved it or they needed it. It was out of grace. 
And he did it by becoming humble. Has anybody stooped that low for you? The Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of the universe, became like a poor slave. Doulos means slave. Became like a poor slave for you. That's the grace of God, right? Merry Christmas. It it is a wonderful life. It's a difficult life, but it's also a wonderful life by the grace of God. But this passage also says that he has and will make you infinitely rich. He has and he will make you infinitely rich. Look back at the verse. I'm not making this up. The verse says this. So that you, and you can paraphrase it, or even close to translating it, so that you, so that through his poverty, you, you might become rich. This grace he has shown to you, grace meaning this unmerited love and power of God to do good to you, unmerited love and power of God to do good to you, was to make you more rich than any person on earth that doesn't know Christ and has billions and billions of dollars. He has already and will make you more rich than them. That all that they have... It will be like it was just a piece of manure. Because all of it's going to burn. It's all going to burn. It's all going to go bye-bye. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be Christ and his saints. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, that doesn't mean in this life we have necessarily health and wealth. Christ, the you know, of course, God, perfect. He had a very fruitful life. Did he have an easy life? He had no place to lay his head. And then he was conspired against, and he was murdered, crucified, and died. But he rose again. And you can read Philippians chapter 2, right? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And all he knows now is glory, glory, glory. And scripture says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, that we will in some way participate in the glory of Christ. We will be glorified. And that is incredible. Even now, we have riches. Think about the riches that we have in Christ. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. I don't want you to think about your temptation and sin, but we all have sin. And if you trust Jesus alone to save you, all your sin, past, present, and future, is covered and cleansed. That is amazing grace. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a clean conscience. You are encouraged by the truth that God is causing everything in the universe to work out for your good. Romans 8, 28, though you may not understand what's going on right now in your life, God has a plan and a purpose to to bless you beyond you can ever imagine. That's what Romans 8, 28, you you are rich in that way. The the universe, in one sense, is your servant, right? Romans 8, 28, God's going to cause it to serve you. 
You were adopted as a child of God. God loves you more than anything in the universe except for himself. He loves you more than Michael and Gabriel. He loves you more than your most favorite dog. God loves you more than anything except for himself. And in the ages to come, when we're with Christ, the Bible talks about New Jerusalem and heaven, having streets of gold and walls are laden and stuck with all, made out of all these different kinds of, uh, of gems. It, so many gems, even some people, some commentators have no idea what gems are being referred to. Some. It's amazing. And then there's a big debate. Are these gems in Revelation 22 is it, or 21? Is it literal? Is it non-literal? And what I try to point out is it's more literal than you can possibly imagine. Meaning, that section is talking about heaven and saying that heaven is going to be more real, more experiential, more wealthy, and more rich than you could ever, 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 ever possibly imagine. And you'll be perfected. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those that love Him. The best is being with Christ. And He will really, really make you rich. That is, He will truly make you the most wealthy, healthy person that has ever lived. But it's a a, a glorified, mind-boggling state of perfect happiness and light forever and forever and forever. And it's all back to this is the grace of God. You didn't merit it. You don't deserve it. It's all God unmerited, freely giving you his love and his power to do good to you. Not because you're good enough, but because he chose to. Based upon his own word. So, Merry Christmas. This is the, briefly, that's the first gift that we unwrap. Learn to receive this grace of God. God's unmerited love and power to do you good. Now, you open up this next gift, and it's a little bit smaller. Not necessarily because of, though, what's inside of it. Sometimes the smaller gift might be the better gift. You never know. It could be a surprise. Second Corinthians 9, 8. You unwrap this gift. And in this gift, you learn this. God will always give you more than enough grace to do what you need to do. God will always give you more than enough grace to do what he wants you to do. I have heard this statement before at times. I just don't have the grace to forgive that person. I just don't have the grace to serve. I just don't have the grace to witness. I just don't have the grace to love that person anymore. The Bible says different. Romans 9, 8. I'm sorry. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for how many good deeds? For every good deed. For, for all good deeds. For any deed that you need to do, that God wants you to do, based upon the Bible, 
God would give you what you need to be able to do it. God has the ability. Nothing is too difficult for God. You're not too difficult for God. Your spouse and your kids and your mom and your neighbor and your cousin, they're not too difficult for God. God is able to give them what they need to do what they need to do, and God will give you what you need to do so that you can do what you need to do. This is what verse 8 is saying. And either you get to a place where you trust God or you don't. You either trust His Word or you don't. Now briefly, just a few things. And this verse can be preached in terms of the structure in several different ways. Because there's so many words here that are just incredible modifiers and adjectives. So we'll just look at all. For example, all grace, always, all sufficiency. When you see the word everything, it's the same basic Greek word. One is plural, one is singular. All all is plural and everything is singular for every good deed. So you have all kinds of grace for each individual deed. Uh, First, all grace. And you see that at the beginning. God is able. God can do this. He's able to make all grace. That is, again, God's unmerited love and power to do good and and quantity and in specificity, he can give that grace to you. Whether you need a dump truck full of it or maybe you need a little, like, lodging to put in your mouth the whole day because it's a whole, whole day's deed and you just have to suck on it. Whatever kind of grace you need, whether it's quantity or the specific kind, God is saying here, and God's able to make all different kinds of grace abound to you. The word abound is the idea of a river, like Mississippi River, overflowing the banks and flooding all this farmland. God, like the book of Ephesians, uses the word abound, 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 over and over again. God is able to give you not just a tea, but a grace, but the amount and over. He's able to give you excessive different kinds of grace. So much so that, secondly, always having all sufficiency in everything. God's able to make all kinds of grace, not just trickle, like, you know, if you have a faucet and it goes drip, drip, drip. God can do that if that's what you need, but it can also be like a shower, like a waterfall. So much so that, look at verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8, so that always having all sufficiency, so that at all times... You will have all that you need in all the different situations of life. So that at all times, 24-7, you have everything you need from God, love and power of God, His Spirit, and every different unique situation of life which occurs all the time. God would give you whatever you need, 24-7, and whatever situation you're in, to be able to obey Him. To tell you the truth, this is like a superpower. So all of you have a superpower. Now, the superpower doesn't come from you. It comes from God, but it goes in you, and it's energizing you, so that you will never be in a situation that you cannot deal with. This is what this verse is saying. 
But by deal with, what I mean is that you can always respond to a situation in a way where you say yes to Jesus. I'm going to do the right thing, the godly thing in this situation, even though I don't understand it. And even though it may, it may not turn out initially to bless me. But I'm going to trust that God has the best for me and do what he wants. And God says here, he will give you the love, the power, the strength, the determination, the, the vision that is seeing the ultimate product of what can happen, of what will happen by his grace. 24-7, he'll give you whatever you need. Again, it's like a superpower. You, you and I sin and fail because we choose to. It's not because Satan is so powerful that we had to. No, Satan's been defeated in our life, and we have all the grace that we need to say yes to God. So back to chapter 8, verse 9. God made us rich in the present through this poverty of Christ. We have been saved and are being saved. And then he continues to pour out this grace upon us so that we, yes, we learn to be getter, getters, but then we also learn that God gives us all that we need so that we can give obedience to God and whatever situation that may look like. And you can see then at the end of verse 9 that you may have, again, abundance, that you might, might not just have a little bit just to do that deed that God wants you to do. God's just going to give me just just enough grace. He's just going to help me just like get to the line, the finish line, and then that's it. No, this says an abundance. He's going to be excessive. So it's not just that God's going to help me a little bit. God is going to help me. God's going to help you in enormous ways to that to do that which he wants you to do. Whatever it is, for every good deed. So I think we can say it, say it this way. Believers, brothers and sisters, don't simply have the grace of God to do what he wants you to do. You do not have the grace of God to do what he wants you to do. You have a super amount of grace of God to do what he wants you to do. It says abundance twice. This is the emphasis. Does it mean it's easy? I don't think it was easy for Jesus Christ to die on the cross. I don't think it was easy for Paul or Peter or John. But God will give us the grace. He promises to do that which he wants us to do. Not just a little bit, but he'll give us an excessive amount of it. Now, the the question is, at times, we don't feel this, may not always experience it the way that, that we think we should, but how can we see this work out in our lives? And I think you see this in verse 15. And this comes to the third gift that we'll unwrap. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There could be under the tree, maybe in your stocking, maybe you forget to look in your stocking, you pull down your stocking, and what do people usually put in stockings? Maybe Starbucks gift cards, you know, maybe some chocolate. 
Well, you, you reach your hand into a, a stocking, and there's a small rectangle of box. What would you do with that box? Maybe you're just like, this is probably just like a ribbon, maybe, you know. Maybe it's a little dog tag for my doggy. So you just throw it aside. But then maybe later, after you've eaten and you're full and you're resting, you find that little box, you know, it's about this big. What could fit in a box this big? It's so small, tiny. Could that be anything worthy? Such a small, thin box. So finally you open it up and what's inside of this box is a key to a brand new car. And then you'd be, oh, I can't. It was such a small, tiny box. I didn't think anything can come from anything that is of a small size. What I'm saying is that this verse, verse 15, out of these three verses, is very small. (laughs) And in this little section, it, it comes last. But in small things that seem insignificant, it can actually have great significance. And it may be a small but mighty verse. And I think that this is what you have here in this verse. That though it's small, it is mighty. And in this context, when it talks about, if you look at verse 15, this gift and context, I think, is this grace of God. You even see it in verse 14 of chapter 9. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And even, of course, 9, 8, and 8, 9 is talking about this grace of God. And really, two things here is, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. By the way, the word thanks is the same word in New Testament Greek for grace. (laughs) Carus, here. Thank God for this indescribable gift, this gift that cannot be defined. That is, you can say grace. How would you define it? You know, you can use the acronym God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That's a good acronym. I've been trying to say God's unmerited love and power to do you good. I think that's pretty good. And I plagiarized that from uh, Spurgeon and Dabney and Charles Hodge. How can we Describe it, though. Well, I, I thought of a few. Here, this says this gift that's undescribable. Think of the very best gift you ever have received for Christmas and try to describe it. Shogun Warriors, about three feet tall, and it has a, a fist. And you press a button, and it can fly out of the fist and knock down Legos. That was an incredible gift. Probably my favorite Christmas gift ever. How can you describe grace? Well, I I just wrote down a few. Out of the world grace, super marvelous grace, extreme grace, ginormous grace, unbelievable grace, unmatched grace, unparalleled grace. And you could come up, I'm sure, with with many more. This verse is saying, if you got all the dictionaries of the world together, you can never come up with enough words to describe God's riches at Christ's expense, God's unmerited love and power, working to do good to you, you could not describe it all. But 
Even beyond that, I want us to note that it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This verse is really a type of a mechanism to get us to trust and to relish, to to rest in, to receive this grace of God. Chapters 8 and 9 ends with chapter 9, verse 10, as a call basically to worship. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. My in-laws, Lisa and her mom and her dad and her sister and even all of their relatives, they always do or did something that was new for me. And Lisa still does this. She's very good about it. At the end of Christmas Day, she'll take out a sheet of paper and write down a list of what each person gave, you know, who gave what, so she can send them thank you cards. And that has always struck me where perhaps we should do the same thing with God. I don't mean actually writing down a list, maybe if that helps you, but having this heart that is, Lord, you've given me so much, and I just want to stop, Lord, and say thank you for all these gifts of grace that you've given to me over and over and over and over again. And it's when you have this heart of thanksgiving, when you are filled with gratitude for what God gives you, then that gives you the energy, because you're worshiping God, you're tasting God, you're delighting in God, and that gives you the energy, really, to do what He wants you to do as you are learning to be a receiver of His grace. So this third gift that you open, small verse, small box, but basically it's saying, be, be thankful. Be thankful for His grace. How do we do this? When you lie down tonight, this evening, as you just lie there in bed, you lay down. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I made it through one more day believing in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I send today. I send a lot today. Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Amen. And then have a deep rest. I really give sleep and his grace. And then when you wake up in the morning, Lord, today, I need your grace more than yesterday. And then after Christmas, Christmas night, you go to bed, Lord, thank you for your grace. I still believe in Jesus, not because I'm a mighty Christian. You know the truth, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And you go to sleep. You just sleep deep and sound. I'm saved by grace. I'm kept by grace. I'll be in heaven by grace. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. And then you wake up. Christmas is over. But there's more grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the grace that I will experience today. Thank you, Lord. I realize after, I don't know how many years I've been saved now, 36 years, more than that, 40 years, 40-something years, I realize that I need God's grace more today than I did yesterday. And tomorrow I'll need God's grace even more. And I'm trying to learn to receive 
as one that is poor in spirit, and I'm hungry and thirsty for his righteousness. I'm also hungry and thirsty for his grace. I need even more grace, Lord. And I would pray that you too will learn to receive his grace. Christmas, the incarnation of God the Son, is actually an act of amazing grace. And I pray that you will learn to receive this grace from God this Christmas. Lord, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for your incredible, matchless, peerless grace that you would give us merited love and power to do good for us. God, riches at Christ's expense, that you would be rich, but yet become poor for us. And then anything we need to do, you will give us more than enough grace, not just grace that matches, but excessive grace to do what we need to do. And so we thank you, Lord, for Christ. We thank you that your grace is with us, that we're saved, we're kept saved by your wonderful grace, Lord. We praise you and we give you glory. For Christ's sake, amen.